0: For those of you who are, are here this morning and this is your first time in a while, you're, (laughs) you've come at an interesting time and an interesting passage in our series. But I want us to, to go back to a promise that the Lord gave us, that he actually, that John wrote. And, but I'm going to, before I get there, I'm going to ask you a question. We've all heard the saying, right, what's in it for me? Have you ever heard that? (laughs) Have you ever uttered it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I've done it. And depending on the person's motives, whether it's self-centered or not, that determines, I think, if it's a good question or a bad question. If you're seeking wisdom, Knowledge and regarding and making, in regards of making correct and informed decisions on how to live, on how you should live your life for yourself and for others, which you are a big part of, and for others around you, it can be very beneficial because you can help the community, you can help your fami- family, 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 and you can help your church. If your motive is just to understand facts, just to check the box, increase your knowledge that that could be telling, that could be a real telling thing. I'm only here, I'm just learning, I just want to understand what you're saying, what what the Bible means. I don't really want to apply it to my life. What I'm getting at is this. We've been studying the book of Revelation, and I hope that you have been asking What's in it for me? Whoa, 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 you're you're, you're, you're messing with me here, man. You're messing with me. If it's just to learn, if you're just here to check the box, I, I made my trip to, to, you, uh, to RBC, I made my trip to church, I checked the box for the week, and I'm done. That's not a good thing if it's just to learn what took place nineteen hundred years ago in a place called Asia Minor and winning a Bible trivia contest because you can answer what the seven churches are that might be all that you can hope for but if revelation and I do say if revelation and I believe it is true if revelation was written to show us what will happen in the future What will happen in the future, our future to be exact, your future to be exact, that changes how we view it because we understand what's coming. We understand what will happen to this earth. It makes it personal. John wrote at the beginning of the the apocalypse, and this is why I say that we really need to understand what's in it for me, this is what's in it for you. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed is Ben. Thanks, Ben. Before I read the scripture here that I just was about to read, there are many people who work, volunteers that work around this church that are unseen, and sound men and sound women and people who run the computer screen are people who are almost invisible until something happens like that, or or something, or we hear a squeal, or that slide doesn't change quick enough, or it gets locked in. You are the people that we need. Thank you, thank you. From stewardship, to to worship, to the children's leaders, the children's teachers, to everyone that makes this place run, thank you, and God bless you. What makes it personal? john wrote at the beginning of the apocalypse he said this he said blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near and that time is near than when we began this morning so if you might be thinking as as well as we've gone through this book danny we've been shown that what's going to take place in the great tribulation we understand that that hopefully, and I say hopefully, I believe that the Scripture teaches us this, that we are in heaven before this, before these things happen. And if this, these events are taking place, why can that be a blessing to me? Why is that a blessing? And I hope that I can answer that by the time we finish this morning. Well, for those of you who haven't been here, and for those of you who have, let's do a quick review of where we've been in Revelation. You might even start in just in Revelation chapter 1. We see Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. That's the Greek alphabet, the beginning to the end, the A to the Z. He is God Almighty. In chapters 2 and 3, we read the letters to the seven churches. Do you need me to just change to a regular microphone? me more than than it bothers you okay we're there awesome there we go all right in chapters two and three we saw the seven churches the literal seven churches of Asia Minor it was like a postal route and that's where this letter was delivered to real churches with real problems Real victories and real defeats, just like the real churches in the 21st century, just like the churches that have been from the beginning till now. In chapters 4, we saw the throne room of heaven, the throne room, oh my goodness, and the one who was sitting on the throne. We saw the 24 elders. We saw the four living beings, and we saw it was a picture of God's sovereignty, in chapter 5, the one seated on the throne is holding a seven-sealed scroll, which was the title deed to the earth. It's a picture of the title deed to the earth. And when someone was asked to open it, who can open it? No one stepped forward. Not one. Not one person stepped forward, and it broke John's heart. But an elder told John, listen, there is one who is able Who is worthy? And that is the Lamb of God. And Jesus steps forward and takes the scroll. In chapter 6, we open the first six seals of the scroll. The first six seals are opened, which means these are the things that are going to take place. What are they? First one's false peace. The second one is war. The third one is famine. The fourth one is death. The fifth there are martyrs crying out to God for vindication and waiting for God's answer, leading to the sixth: the great earthquake, a great earthquake, and stars—literal stars—falling from the sky, causing those who are unredeemed, great and small, tall and small, rich and poor, to want to hide themselves from the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb and say, mountains fall on us, rocks fall on us, instead of turning to God and living. Chapter 7, we witness the judgment being held back by 144,000 Jewish believers are sealed. These are people who come to Christ during the first part of the tribulation, and God seals them, he marks them, actually from the Jewish nation. Then we see a picture of all the martyrs coming out of the great tribulation around the throne, innumerable, innumerable, singing glory to the Lamb and to the one who sits on the throne. Last week in chapter 8, the seventh seal was broken, which begins the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments were blown and they, and they blew the trumpet and it brought judge, judgment from God's creation. The vegetation, the sea, the fresh water, and then even the moon and the stars. And today we continue in chapter nine with the trumpets five and six where hell is released. We'll begin as the fifth trumpet blows, also known as the first woe. If you're in your scriptures, we're going to begin at verse one, but John begins again by declaring what he saw. I saw this, what he saw, and what he saw was the opening of the bottomless pit. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, it begins, he said, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is also known in the scriptures as the abyss. It's a place where the fallen angels, demons... Remember, demons are angels who were once good, and where they have turned bad, where they have sinned and they have rebelled against God, they're held here for a time. These are the worst of the worst. If you could even relate, a demon had—if it had levels of foulness, these are the foulest of the foul. They're held in the abyss. For a time when and if when and if the Lord decides will be released. And you can see that in Jude 6. An example for maybe what we would understand when we've, because we've looked at the gospels much more than I believe that we've looked at Revelation. When Jesus cast the legion of demons out of a man and they begged Jesus, they said, These are the demons begging, don't send us to the abyss. And Jesus said, and they asked, "Can we go in these herd of swine?" And Jesus said, "Yeah, go ahead." And what the demons do—they, or excuse me—the demons went into the pigs. And what the pigs do—they ran down the hill, drowned themselves. That's the abyss. It's a dreadful place. I don't think we can understand it. The Scripture really doesn't speak of it that much because we really don't need to know that much about it. What about the star? Now this again, you need to be looking at your Bibles because again, words mean things and the way words are written mean things. And specifically, I mean, what I want us to look at is the word fallen because it gives us a clue who John is speaking of. Now notice this. The word is fallen, not falling. All right? It's fallen, not falling. And remember, when we look at this, we go, well, well, stars, sometimes they're real in Revelation. Sometimes, I mean, they're what we picture as from the, from the heavens. All right? These are, these are the, things that asteroids, meteors, stars that have been put up in the sky. But many times, as in chapter 1 of Revelation, they speak of heavenly beings and that's what we're talking about here in the Greek or, in the Greek language fallen is written in the perfect tense now don't roll your eyes into the back of your head i'm going to call you out on that before you even do that it's not that long it's written in the perfect tense now listen which signifies a completed action that happened in the past and the results continue on into the future this happened way in the past But it continues to this day. Well, why is this important? Because this star has been ejected, expelled from the heavenlies. This angel has been removed. This star seems to be none other than Satan himself. Jesus told his 72 disciples in Luke 10, he said, after, after they'd been sent out ahead of him, he said this, he said, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, speaking of Satan's, Satan, God's God's enemy, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we're given what we need to know about this enemy. We're not given that much more. Jesus says he is a thief and a liar, and he's been a murderer from the beginning. That's what Jesus said about him. That's all we need to know. He hates you and he hates God. He has great power. But the Lord Jesus conquered him at the cross. Praise God. But our enemy still fights on until he will be ultimately defeated. He still fights to this day. Continuing in verse 2, he, which is Satan, opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, understand, did Satan hold this key before it was given to him? He didn't have keys in his pocket. Let's not get the idea that he goes around with a key ring. Satan does not have a key until God gives it to him and said, Here, take it. He's doing God's bidding. He couldn't do a thing until he was allowed to do that. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. The picture that John is seeing is a great foreshadowing of the spiritual calamity coming upon the world. It is smoke. What comes after the smoke? What else is coming? Locusts. But not your garden variety locust. Not your garden variety locust these locusts cause great agony and now we'll look at the severe human suffering inflicted by the locusts from the pit what's their mission and effect and again if we look at this where did where did we see locusts we saw them in the great plagues in egypt Plague 8, to be exact. But this is different. Verse 3 and following. Look at your scriptures. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months. As an aside, the normal lifespan of a locust is five months. But not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, some of you younger folks in the audience, you're going, well, I don't even know what a locust is. What, what is it? All right, it's... It looks like a grasshopper. That's the closest thing I can, I can tell you. They travel in great swarms. They destroy every green thing that comes before them. They can devastate an agricultural area within hours. This year, and not this year, excuse me, in 2020, yes, of course, in 2020, there was a great locust infestation in Kenya, One swarm covered 930 square miles. That's one swarm. They needed a beta weed to come there. Beta weed could have taken care of that. But these locusts described here aren't the same that have plagued mankind since the fall. They aren't your normal description. They aren't normal in their description or their activity. Church, what's released from the pit are demons. It's a picture of demons. Looking at your Bibles in, in verses three to six, they attack people who are not set apart as gods. They don't bother with vegetation. In fact, they're commanded not to go after the vegetation, they torment the human race. Now, whether it be physical pain like a sting of a scorpion or or some have thought, some look at this as mental anguish. Demons are, are attacking someone's mind where it's mental anguish. I'll go down that route for a second. I've talked with people who have wished that they were dead instead of being alive. Whether it be because they're inflicted or afflicted with cancer, They're hurting so badly they just want, they know there's no hope and they want to go home or they want to die. Or others wishing they were dead because of things that they had done or regret or hopelessness. Whether the excruciating pain is physical, which I really truly believe it is, or emotional. Listen to this. Suicide for them is not even an option. Death will flee. They aren't even able to die. But hear me. Even in this terrible time, we can see God's mercy in this. How, how so? How can this be merciful? When we're in pain, many times we turn to the Lord. These people have five months to be able to turn to the Lord. Even during this terrible time, they're not able to kill themselves because once they're dead, then only comes judgment where their end would be sure how else can we tell that these aren't natural locusts but supernatural creatures by the locust horrific appearance let's continue at verse 7 Now, as we read, look at the similes when they say, like. They looked like this. They acted like this. It doesn't mean that they were actually these things, but it was like. John was a 95-year-old dude trying to explain a vision that he had to be totally overwhelmed about. They were like these things. The appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. They're awesome and seen as invincible. They looked like these horses. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. They held a sinister honor. Their faces were like human faces. Evil intelligence. Their hair like women's hair, describing their their insect-like antennae. We don't know about this one. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They're ravenous. They're vicious. They're seeking who they may devour. They had breastplates, like the breastplates of iron. They're invulnerable. They can't be killed. They can't be stopped. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle, rushing to war. They're coming after them, and you can't hide. Verse 10 tells us they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. What John is seeing here and what he's writing down for us that we can see is image upon image that we're forced to feel the horror of this judgment. This is horrible. Another thing. Locusts on earth have none to lead them. But these demons do. These things are led by the locust, dark ruler. Some people look at this and they say that they're led by Satan himself. They they picture this as Satan himself, but I don't, they are definitely under his rule because he is the highest of the fallen angels. But Satan has been freed to move around, has he not? He's not been confined in a bottomless pit in the abyss for a time. He was free to go where he wished. But this hideous being seems to have been confined until being released for this time. Look at verse 11. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. His name means destroyer, which is a name that fits his demeanor. He wishes to destroy. Those beings, who oppose, those, God wish, those beings who oppose God, they wish to destroy everything that the Lord has created. They want to attack God, but they can't. So they will attack God's highest creation, which is mankind. The question I asked when we started today, how can we be blessed by reading or hearing this? Well, I think one, God is sovereignly in control of when and how these terrible things take place, and if he has control over these things, he has control over the here and the now, and he has control over your lives. So you need not fear if you're in Christ. Also, we're blessed to understand that we have been and will be spared the agony of these horrific times. But that should put a fire under us, right? It should put a fire under us to speak lovingly to those who could await this. On the other hand, this is also a blessing. If you haven't yet trusted Christ and are still in your sins, the blessing is this you can do so right now. You can turn to God right now and live. What a blessing that would be. It's not too late. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. And seemingly without the time to even take a breath, the sixth trumpet blows, also known as the second woe which is the demonic assault that kills a third of humanity. A third. Remember how humanity sought death? Now they receive it. You know, I suppose if a writer had writer's block that was... He was in the horror genre... Wrote in a horror genre, and they were, look, like, I, I don't know what to write. I'm, I suppose if they weren't fearful of plagiarism, that they could look at these passages that we're looking at today, and they have a good place to start. It seems like a horror movie, doesn't it? They could find great material here, but the iron, iron, ironic irony, irony, that's a great, great way to speak, Danny. The irony is this genre is not fiction. It's not fiction. The demonic assault on mankind begins with the release of the mounted horses from the east. It was at the golden altar of incense that the angel offered the prayers of the saints... And now a voice coming from this same altar commands that the four angels be released. Now these evil angels have been bound for who knows how long. We don't know. For for thousands of years, chomping at the bit to get at and to take vengeance out on mankind. And John writes what he heard. Verse 13 and following. When the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Yes, that same river that's in Iraq. Yes, that same river that is the greatest and biggest river in Mesopotamia. Well, what's What's significant about the Euphrates? Besides, it's a great big old river. I'm gonna quote a commentator here, Boost Fanning, and he writes this. He said, the Euphrates was the great river, and the great is in quotes, that with the Tigris River to its east defined the boundaries of Mesopotamia, the prominent center of ancient Near Eastern civilization. In addition, it proverbially defined the eastern boundary of the land God promised to Abraham and to Israel. As a result, the Euphrates River was associated with invading armies from Mesopotamia, such as Assyria and Babylon, whom God used as instruments of judgment against Israel, At a later time, first century Roman civilization developed a phobia about the hordes of Parthians attacking from the east across the Euphrates. So whether you were Jew or Roman, you would understand what John was writing here. They're coming. Great armies are coming for you. Continuing in verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Now the four angels prepared by God, just as the great fish was prepared by Jonah, or Jonah prepared the great fish in Jonah, at the exact time in human history, are released. Remember, the month, the year, the day, the hour. God has it in his hand, everything. In control, the exact time. Nothing happens before he wants it to happen or after it happens. It is just right. Thank you, Goldilocks. Now remember, a quarter of the world's population have already died in the first plagues. I mentioned to somebody that I am so glad that we're taking a break from Revelation to go into Holy Week. Where Jesus came and he gave his life for sinners. He gave his life so we could live. It's a whole lot better than looking at this death. third of the quarter of the world's population has already died. Now it's ratcheted up to a third. So it goes from a quarter, the quarter of the people are gone, now the people who are left, now a third of them are killed by this plague. Over half the world's population Look down the center aisle. Boom, half. Go to one of my favorite places on earth, Dodger Stadium. Half. Boom, gone. The number of troops, for those of you who do the math, 200 million. That's eight zeros, by the way. That's a lot. Could this be literal? Well, a few years ago, China boasted in having 314 million men ages 16 to 49 available to go to war. Not to mention 298, 298 million women but most believe that this number of troops is impossible to sustain. And I would, I would agree with that. How are you going to feed these, pe- how are you going to feed 200 million people to attack here? To maybe put that in perspective, in World War II, no, I wasn't born yet. 50 million people wore the uniform worldwide. But what the number does signify, whether it's literal or figurative, and I do believe it's literal, is the amount of destruction that will be wrought, wrought upon humanity. Because the number was part of a vision. I heard it. Well, what leads to the conclusion that this army is demonic? It's their appearance and effects. Let's take it up again in verse 17. Revelation 9, verse 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out from their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. I mean, these horses seem to be more like fire-breathing dragons than a horse. The colors that the riders signify the three fiery plagues are the forces that will be inflict on humans. These colors. they're the same, they represent judgment that's been repeated since Sodom and Gomorrah, where these cities were destroyed with fire, smoke and sulfur. It's judgment. John's description of these horses seemed to be like a, a picture of modern warfare. I will give it that. It is a picture of modern warfare rather than ancient weapons. I suppose that you could read Hal Lindsey's books, The Great Great Planet Earth, Kindle, Kindle laughs and I agree. If this is a picture of four demonic controlled generals leading a huge army across the world, if this is, and I don't believe it is, it all begins with disarmament and plague number 1 and it ratchets up to this and quickly turns to destruction but as i've said i believe it is a picture of hell being released demons striking out in all directions because of their hatred towards god and his creation which brings us to the response of the survivors It's so telling and sadly a trait that humanity has often shown. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Emphasis mine. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The Decalogue is shown clearly in that list the Ten Commandments, the attack against God Himself, and the attack against humans. And they don't repent, they don't turn you would think with five months of torment, catastrophic deaths, mankind would be brought to their knees and turned to God. How foolish are these people? Sadly, predictable, they don't turn to God, and it's predictable that they don't. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, ten plagues. Eh. people of Israel in the time of the judges 15 times they'd follow and then turn away follow and then turn away it took place under the United Kingdom of David and Solomon we thought those were the great old days but yet people would turn to God and then turn away even David sinned greatly But he at least did come back. Solomon, great king, everything that had been given to him, but he threw it away. The divided kingdom. Then finally, both Israel and Judah were judged, conquered, and exiled. Aren't you glad that our nation isn't as foolish as these Israelites? and the people who will stubbornly choose their own way rather than God's in the tribulation, as you can tell, my sarcasm runs deep. It's one of my spiritual gifts, John (laughs) Doobie. Let me take you on a tour that another man took me on recently. I'm going to take you on a tour of the United States of America. Now, I'm not talking about America here. I'm not a a flag waver, I'm not a drum beater. Don't get me wrong. But we do live in this, this nation that has been very good to us. And God has been very good to this nation. Our country was built on the solid foundation of the word of God. In the beginning, there were 126 colleges that were formed that were founded to teach the word of God and to train Christians. 126, only one was not that. Yet did we honor God? There have been some great awakenings when revival fires swept the country, and every time, what did the next generations do? The same things the ancient Israelites did they turned back to their sins. They turn back. As I said, God has blessed America in, in many ways, and America is, without a doubt, one of the most blessed countries in the world in the history of the world. We have been blessed. It's the most powerful nation at the time, at the in the moment, and the best-fed nation. The nation with, which once had the greatest freedom and the greatest opportunities. God has blessed us with victories in two world wars that we were not prepared to fight. How do we respond? Well, we responded this way at the end of World War I. It brought us the Roaring Twenties, complete with the gods of materialism, immorality, alcoholism, and humanism. Evolution became the gospel of the classroom. Well, how did America respond to God's deliverance in World War II? We returned to the gods of materialism, immorality, pornography, lawlessness, alcoholism, and drugs. The gospel is preached, Bibles are sold, songs are recorded, programs are broadcasted and streamed across America, and how have we responded? We have turned to the gods of materialism, pornography, and sexual perversion. That's our world. It is our world. when new age religions they preach moral relativism that means oh what's what's good for you is good for you what's good for you is good for you let's just all get along and they don't preach what god says now critical race theory has even begun to infiltrate the church Instead of everyone's need of a savior and seeking to make disciples, now it's taught that there must be a dismantling of the power structures and the institutions so that the roles will be reversed. Instead of seeking to preach the gospel and make disciples, we just have to change who's in charge. When 9-11 happened, my first month on the job, by the way, 9-11, 2001, people would have thought, now America will turn to the Lord, right? Now we'll turn. We've seen, we've been attacked. And I have to admit, we had a lot of people in church for a couple weeks. No. It seems that America no longer looks to God in times of trouble. We look to the government. Government can save us. Then in the, after 2001, four hurricanes hit Florida within a month. And then we had a record number of hurricanes in 2005. Notice how I'm preaching climate change here, right? No, I'm not. <laughs> Including Katrina, that left death and destruction through the whole entire Gulf Coast and all but destroyed the city of New Orleans. You would think we would turn, right? America would respond. Turn to God. No, we turn to government and distraction. Send in the FEMA trailers. Fast forward to 2020 and COVID-19. The Lord has indeed given us another chance to turn to him. But have most turned to God or government... Or medicine to save them. Sadly, most have not turned to God. What I'm saying here is going to be hard to hear. I'm speaking of both the secular and the sacred. We as a nation. Community, a church, we need to have our eyes opened. Who are we trusting? We'll end here. Listen as I read this truth from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, having this ministry, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. What's in it for me? What's in it for you? First, peace. Not as the world gives, but as Jesus gives. Peace. And if you're in Christ, you're sealed and will not be touched by these judgments. You're not going to be attacked by demons. Even if we are still on the earth, you are not going to be attacked by them because you are sealed if you're in Christ. What's in it for me? What is the promise of being blessed? probably the greatest truth that one could hear after a passage like this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. How do we conquer? By the blood of the Lamb. if you've heard the gospel on over and over and over again and never called out to the Lord to save you from your sins and to give you eternal life, I solemnly ask you to do so. Respond to his call. These are the facts for everyone. These are the facts. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. What's his standard? It's perfection. And because we have sinned, we are dead spiritually in our sins. And we will eventually die one day physically. Everyone will die. That's the bad news. Because for the good news to be good, you have to hear the bad news first. The good news is this, which is known as the gospel. God sent his son simply to be the savior of the world. God sent his son. He lived a perfect life, he he supplied every bit of righteousness that we would ever need. He lived perfectly before man, before God and he accomplished all of God's law. He did everything right, and yet he was killed. He was killed to be a sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world because for their sacrifice, blood must be shed. And Jesus, by shedding his blood on the cross, Gave that perfect sacrifice, but he did not remain in the grave. He rose again three days later, conquering sin, death, and the devil. How do you acquire that? So you go say, So what? What's it mean for me? He calls you to believe, to turn to Him and trust, to believe, to live, to stop. Trust in your own works and trust in his. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is the God that created the universe. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you're in need, respond. If you've responded, praise the Lord. That's what's in it for us, eternal life. Call on the Lord and be forgiven and receive life. Surrender all and receive everything. Father, as we prepare to sing the last song to worship you and to remember what you have done for us, and, and hopefully do what the song says. We bless you, we praise you, and we honor you. May we live life as those who have been redeemed. May we live life in the truth that we will live forever with you. even when hell tries to stop it. Because the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.